0: Just edit it to be something you're comfortable with, and which probably means doing
1: nothing more than chopping off the last hour. (laughs) I think this is going to be our pre-roll. What you just said is going to be our (laughs) (laughs) pre-roll. Listeners, this is a milestone episode, and I'm going to use a very light touch on editing this thing, so I'm going to leave in all the nonsense. Okay. I'm just going to leave it all in.
0: And then chop off a huge... Talk about the nonsense. Chop off a huge chunk of the nonsense.
1: (laughs) At the end. At the end, which i are not going to But hear. I'm not going to do the normal, since we don't have any guests, right. you know, typically with guests, I'll I'll do quite a bit of editing to try to, you know, um, tighten it up and make the, make, make right. you know, make the conversation. Flow better. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear just how I'm talking about flowing better and I couldn't get the words out? I understand. Here I did this, this is an example, listeners, of the kind of thing that you would be subjected to if I didn't right. take at least somewhat of a scalpel You're things. You're having
0: a flow. You feel a little backed up to me. You feel a little bit like I'm, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm angsty today, listeners.
0: What we're gonna go do right now? Yeah, is I'm We're angsty. gonna go upstairs and we're gonna look for some spiritual milk of magnesia. I think we need to get you a little unstuck. <laughs>
1: oh, we, and I don't
0: have any gloves, I, so this is. There's only one way to do. I this. get.
1: I get angsty and I get backed up when we start doing some of this navel gazing stuff We're trying to think about our, you know, our place in the universe. Right. And, and it's hard to do that. Everything is hitched to everything else. And I so know. I kind of can't and talk. And it's hard
0: to do that when we're doing it in front of a bunch of people we can't see. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. We're you know, recording something to be listened right. to by a bunch of other
1: people. You know this is going to go at the beginning of the show, this part, I know, right? I understand that. And, and so I... Listen, listen to charity, listen, people. I wish you all could be with us here. And if you are of legal age, drinking. <laughs> and we could have the best conversation in the world about this stuff. Wouldn't it be great? But this, this last part, the part that you're going to hear last, listeners. Where I get a little angsty and I'm like, I you know I'm, maybe I'm even a lot speaking angsty. too broadly and yeah. you know and, and not broadly enough and, play, and like, um, all of that's harder because the like you say the people aren't here with us right and so we can't like I think a cover we could really get somewhere which is why we love talking with guests yeah and
0: when and it's harder when you're trying to not when you're when you're trying to work through a fear about being misunderstood while you're in the middle of saying something. exactly which is which has hampered this conversation today I think, yeah for both of us yeah because it is very fraught stuff. We're talking about
1: our own our own work and our, our own reasons for doing the show and approaches you know. to things. And, and I feel like we didn't really even get at that. But you know, this is at the beginning of it's the beginning of a conversation.
0: Yeah, we're circling around.
1: Yeah, I'm going to link up. We've got a you few know hundred, what I'm going to link up? What? The, the the blog post I wrote when we first launched this show Cool. about podcast. And
0: I think we've got a few hundred more episodes to work through our process. Oh, that's
1: a spoiler because one of the questions is are we going to keep doing this show? Oh. I don't know that we fully answered that question.
0: Well, I th- But I think an answer I'm comfortable with right now is that let's do at least a few more hundred of episodes
1: and see where we are. Yeah. We'll do another, we'll do another two or three and 100. let's see where we are after. Two or three hundred. Well, we already have guests for the next couple. Right. We've got, um, at least one that you've communicated with once and we were going to reach out to again. And so we got more people yeah. and we even say it later in the show about getting in touch with us. So, you know, cool. Let's okay. I'm, I'm angsty. We're just going to start the show. We just cool. have to hit stop. And we have to start the show. Am right. I right? Okay. Yes. We're back from a hiatus. Well, not real. I mean, we took a week off, but didn't, didn't we say a while ago we might go to every other week? We did say that. And then we promptly did like three shows in a row. Is that, <laughs> is that what happened?
0: Well, we had some that were every other week, and then we had some that were weekly. We're, you know.
1: Boy, we had to run a run of good shows, though, though, didn't we? We did. We some had fantastic run a run of and shows.
0: And, I, and, and to, to, to all the critics out there. <laughs> haters? I do to say that. Hold on. This one goes out to all the haters. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> uh you know this this isn't germany we're not running a train uh it's not going to be at the same time mm. you know this is this is a little bit more free flowing and free
1: form yeah this is this is not our this, this is not our main job is that
0: Well that's that is true and that's one of the reasons why it's more free flowing but I was simply pointing to its
1: inherent character which <laughs> is that it is
0: more free flowing
1: Somehow I think that even if this were our main job <laughs> you would well, you would you would still have the same critique right y- you make a good point <laughs> Is there anything you know you know Joe is there anything special about this show today Uh gosh I don't know Um
0: maybe Maybe the number of the show? Well, I
1: mean, well, for one, we don't have a guest today. This is a Just You and Me show, a Just Joe and Christian show. Uh-huh. My name's Christian Turner, by the way. My name's Joe Miller. <laughs> have we ever done that before? I'm not sure. I don't think we've ever done it with first and last names like that, but but we have today. Because today, unlike all other days, today is the- episode number 100. Wow. And now, because we have a base, a base 10 number system... This is a huge milestone.
0: It is a huge milestone. Um, I, I'm wondering if it's episode 100. F- Don't.
1: With. Don't.
0: <laughs> I, I continue to be nagged by the existence of an episode <laughs> denominated episode zero. Yeah. it
1: was. The, that's true. That was the origin. That's part of the freeform character of our show. And we are now 100 shows distant from that first show. Ah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's just it's just a metric kind of thing.
0: Like you're not born at one; you're born at zero. Of course,
1: of course. Boom, done. You're yeah. zero. Show zero. Thank start you. things at zero. Do not need to. It
0: will never nag me again. <laughs> now I know. Now I know the frame of reference for it. Now I
1: understand it. Problem solved. That's, That's what we do on this show. the show. We' show solve, is like a human. It's we organic. So, we solve problems and we help people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is what the show's about. <laughs> Now I I should so we are gonna do some feedback. I do think we got a topic today. Okay. I guess that will is yet to be seen. I guess we'll yes, we, will, we the will listeners unfold. can decide for themselves whether we have a topic for today. Right. Maybe because it's episode one hundred, we're just gonna let it all hang out. Let it flow. If it's gonna, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're one of the ones who thinks, boy, that show would be decent if they would just cut it down to about fifteen minutes and, you know, have some theme music and have some segments and you yeah, know. this is not the episode no, for you. This is probably not the episode. Not that there ever has been an episode for you of right. this show. Not here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to Germany. Stand at the train station the, where the trains will run on time. Exactly. You're saying. Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Now you're you're making a lot of German references today. I was and, in Germany. I, I, I know. That's, that's what I wanted I'm to very, get to. It's very fresh in my mind. Do you mind. want to um, anything about your trip that's remarkable for the show? Any that was remarkable for the show? No. I mean, you you don't as a rule you don't love to travel, do you? <laughs> I don't love it the way you do. Um, you know that's, the, the that's, idea of traveling or the the fact of travel. You know. I,
0: I've had I have had many great, fun, interesting travels. I I enjoy a lot uh, visiting new places. I enjoy a lot uh, spending time with friends and family. That's mm-hmm. all great. Um, the actual getting from here to there part of it mm-hmm. can can be. Anywhere from annoying to, you know, shoot me now, that kind of vibe. So, so it just <laughs> depends
1: on, um, the, you know. This is, pro- this is surely the only way that you and I differ, Joe. Oh, is yeah. That, it's the only one I can think of right now. <laughs> that, uh, so you don't, stand, you don't sit by the window, open the window, and just stare in amazement as the landscape goes by underneath you, no matter how many times you've flown. True. Um, I certainly don't open the window. Those windows don't open. Oh, we did this on the last um, show. Nobody wants to hear this again. You know what I mean? The window shade. Thank you. Yes, I don't. I. I, I don't <laughs> open that either. <laughs> you know. You know why people come to the show for extreme accuracy? Yeah, for pedantry. <laughs> for pedantry. Uh, it's you, so true. Do you know a great app for traveling though? If let's this this Ooh. app could distinguish you and me maybe. Okay. So this is an app which is like someone. In their, in their computer, you know, basement is somewhere. Is it actually helpful? Actually, it was provided by the, uh, funded by the NSF, I think. So this is more than just someone in their basement getting mm. an idea. But it's, it certainly seems like someone thought to themselves for days, what app should I write for Christian? Mm. Right? They're thinking, boy, that, that guy needs a little something extra in his life. What am I going to write for him? And they wrote this app, Flyover Country, which is, uh, it, it's some, actually, I talked to a friend. Um, two decades ago now, like right back when I had this, you know, I was doing some mountaineering, I had this big handheld GPS that we would use with top. And I was thinking, how cool would it be if you were on a road trip and you had this GPS unit, but hooked up to a computer and it would kind of tell you everything around you. Right. Ooh. And this app kind of does that. So it integrates Wikipedia, some geological data and some fossil bed data with a map. And you can basically plug in your, uh, your point of departure and your point of arrival, and it will and you can put the mode, whether it's by foot or by car or by plane, oh. and it will draw a swath through the, through the country or across the ocean.
0: Nice. And
1: it will show you all the points along there. And in fact, you can download it offline. So when you're flying, you can the GPS will work and you can look out the window and you can kind of, you know, touch on the screen, the little W for Wikipedia, and you can find out, oh, that's a certain lake. That's a certain river. That's the site of this. That's, there's a shipwreck down that's there. That's very exciting. It's an augmented reality travel app. Yeah, I mean, it's not augmented reality. You don't hold it up to your face and see stuff. But at least you, you know, it's an extension of, you know. Yeah. A, now who's being the pedant.
0: <laughs> B, that sounds really great. Really fun and interesting.
1: Yeah. I didn't think it would come up on the show. But but now that we have, you know, now that we are a travel show, that's, <laughs> is that going to be season two of the show? <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, oh, the boy. second hundred episodes. S- second hundred episodes. Well, oh, we could do a great travel podcast because of our different you know, for the same the same reasons that certain people love this show, you know, the fact basically that we argue a lot. Yeah. Uh, I o- think although they would, at the same time, not really much at all. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's some bickering. And stuff. I think that show would really do the same thing, don't you? Whereas with a movie show, you couldn't guarantee that we would disagree about each movie. Mm. But with travel, you could pretty much agree that you, you could pretty much observe that we would disagree about just about everything. Don't you think? Could be. Yeah, could be. Okay, this there's isn't why people promising. tune in. This is, so should we go to the next item? Oh, have we done any items? <laughs> What's the next item? <laughs> Do you think there's anything special about episode 100? I mean, does this make you look back? and Does this make you wistful in a way that 99 did not? Or no. 101 will not? No. Um,
0: I think 101 would be more special just because it reads the same way backwards as forwards. And I think that's kind of cool when numbers act that way. So 99 was is better than 100. 101 is better than 100 in Wait, this respect.
1: So 99 doesn't read the same backwards. Oh, you mean, you mean actually if you're in a mirror, not just if you no, reverse no, the, the digits. The, when you go, yeah. when
0: you read it from left to right and right to left, it reads the same. Yeah. The so 101 yeah. is that way, 99 is that 101 way. 88, has, yeah. Need 101 continue? has
1: a kind of digit symmetry, but one, uh, 99 has a digit symmetry. You can swap the digits, but 101 actually has mirror symmetry in terms of the symbols. I think that's, that's what you mean. That's true too. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. I was referring sort of the palindrome kind of idea reading from left to right reading from right to left
1: Mm. yeah so 88 also
0: yeah 404 414 525 wait no these are all
1: boy this is 52125 believe me i hate to belabor this anymore but not why under under that scheme what's wrong with 99
0: i don't get it I, i said it was better than 100 and better than 101 excuse me 101 and 99 are better than 100 in this respect.
1: Okay. I thought you were saying 101 is better than 99.
0: I did not say that. Okay.
1: Okay. I hope I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. Well, we can roll the tape back. Let's play it back. (laughs) I probably got this one wrong. You know, I'm doing like three things at once over here. I got to focus. I got to focus. Um, What's next? What do you want to do next? So do you have any additional thoughts about episode 100?
0: No. Do you have any additional thoughts? Uh, Just
1: all the congratulations have rolled in. You know, my family's wishing us the best. They really? brought us, yeah, they bought us some specs. No, not really. <laughs> so no, you can, no, not you really. can hear the surprise in my voice. That
0: really was genuinely shocking.
1: No, no, I think my if, family. If they might... displayed anything but indifference. Yeah, if we told yeah. them, they'd
0: say, Are you guys still doing that? <laughs>
1: We've gotten some nice notes this week, though. Let's before we get to what I think is the topic, let's do a little feedback. You want to? Let's, let's, do, it. let's do. it. Jump into the mailbag.
0: Let's, yeah, jump, jump, jump in there and root around and tell us what we got.
1: So, so new listener and and follower on Twitter, Michael, uh, tweeted at us about the um, about the law review show and and the expedite. You know, this is about students' as means. We got a couple of bits of feedback about this one. True. Uh, and this is about, you know, the, the, as you wrote about the morality of expedited review in law journals.
0: Can I interject? Please do. To, to mention that one of the things I did while I was away, uh, and that I want to share with people, um, there's this book called, uh, who gets what and why? And it's by Alvin Roth and it's a 2015 nonfiction book. Alvin Roth is a Nobel laureate in economics. Uh, who specializes in the study of matching markets and so helped design the medical match program oh and, really? a uh, fascinating book written for a non expert audience, a lay mm-hmm. audience all about matching markets. did you read this? Uh, I did while I was away, and it is, and I read it because I'm trying to think along a few different dimensions more about this law review problem mm-hmm. uh, and uh and so, one of the things I wanted to do was I'd heard about this book. It's quite germane. This matching market question: uh, how to, how to, how are matching markets designed, and how do they perform, and what are some of their uh, weaknesses, and how can those be addressed? And I, it's it's just a very well constructed book, a well written book, entertaining, informative. I would just commend it to anybody who's interested in reading about that sort of thing. So. Uh, who gets what and why? Alvin Roth, 2015.
1: And that's not the last we're going to hear about it because it sounds like it's going to inform what you're going to do. Yes. As you, as you dive deeper, you wrote an initial essay which we talked about on the right. students as means episode, right? And you're going to have much more to say.
0: Yes, and and this book does not address what I think is the central, the phenomenon that is central to the design of this system, which is that that educators have created this regime. For ostensibly educational purposes, and that sets up a, a fiduciary-like duty right. uh, between law faculty and students, not only at their own institutions but even more generally. Although that's a tricky thing to try to figure out, um, and, and the Alvin Roth book doesn't address that at all. But it's still fascinating and had some really great and
1: interesting ideas. So I don't I, think you and I have talked e- even you know just in person beyond the show about this idea of fiduciary duty particularly we talked a lot about some of these issues and I, I, I wanted to ask you something now should I hold it in abeyance though no ask you? No. well I was just wondering whether you think that the because you know these are terms in the law fiduciary duty as opposed to just a regular duty of care so oh. in tort law duty of care is you know a duty maybe to use not to not to injure negligently let's say right. and a fiduciary duty is about basically treating someone else's needs as your own or someone else's uh, right. wealth as your own, depending on the field that you're in. And I, I wonder if you see that as the main difference. When you use the word fiduciary duty, you think there's a duty that goes beyond non-injury and goes toward helping students in their own reason formation in terms of like the reasons that they use for things, but also in, in taking account of their reasons and being concerned with them rather than just not injuring them in some way.
0: Yeah, Yes, because there's, there's a power differential and therefore a responsibility differential.
1: Uh, but there's also like why do they even sign up for this right I mean, they almost I lost you
0: who why did who sign up for the what?
1: students? like why do they even sign up unless we have that special relation to the uh, relationship with them right I mean that's kind of what they're buying when they come to law school right right uh, but anyway, I mean, there's much more to say about this, and that was just an off the cuff yeah. question about it, but we did uh so so Michael's point was about that episode where you, you describe what you think of as the immorality of of telling a a law journal um, after you've submitted an article to them and they've made you an offer, I might take your offer, but I'd like to wait. And then you go to another journal and you say, hey, I have that offer from this other journal. Please expedite review of my article because I would rather publish with you than with this earlier journal. That right. Already and they've given me until day X. Right. Please let me know before day X. Yeah, I just wanted to reestablish that. But I'll include a link to that prior show, which I thought was really good. And um, and we'll get to that in a second, actually. Someone, someone else has something to say about that show. But Michael's point was that beyond the morality to the the issue of the morality to the students that it's also bad for authors and he sees this has seen this as the as the editor at a journal where authors professors are forced into taking offers that explode on a very short time scale when they would have rather gone to another journal so if a journal that may take a long time to review a piece because mm-hmm. they're doing a good job right and a professor may wish to publish with such a journal because for some of the same reasons they're taking a long time to review they're also good to work with and whatever else but they can't do it because professional incentives force them or encourage them to take a an offer from a journal they don't prefer you know because it's kind of burden the hand rather than right there's certain risk aversion and uh, yeah yeah well it's taken me a while to kind of get the words out today but you know what i mean right i do what what do you think about that i mean i I think that's definitely true i I almost feel like we didn't mention it because that's the perspective that we've all internalized i I
0: agree that that is as
1: as professors
0: but we didn't that's why we
1: didn't focus on that it is
0: true that the, the the current regime has a lot of problems, offers a lot of uh, negatives as uh, well as positives. Uh, this makes it like most things in the world, which are mixed bags. Mm-hmm. So it's not remarkable in that sense. But uh, this – this and I suppose this does connect to the Alvin Roth book. You know, matching markets are very hard. And, and using the word market here, which I resist in the context of the Law Review relationship – between faculty and students. Um, I think in the, in the sense that he's using it, it's simply, you know, people exchanging things that they, that they both value and in an exchange that they think will make them better off. Right. Uh, and so when that's a matching market rather than a commodity market, so it really matters who you're dealing with and what the unique thing being exchanged yeah. is. because you're going to get the one thing. Right, and, and you're going to give the one thing and you're going to get the one thing. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it may be yourself. He talks about romantic matching as hmm. well it's very hard to set these things up well. Mm-hmm. um they they're prone to a lot of uh problems. and and this timing problem uh you know we we think we're we think it's good to have the expedite request system uh and it may be in the world view of the people who like it and approve of it it may certainly be better than not having one although it brings along with it these other problems which is that when you're getting everyone all torqued up to try to make these quick decisions yeah. Um, you, you can create these other sort of after effects, right? Uh, by by trying to get there more quickly with you, everyone's now strategizing about what is the, for example, how much time should I give you to make a decision given that I want to try to force you to pick me even if you'd like someone else better. Right. Right. That's a kind of strategic behavior that, that the existence of the expedite request market produces. Mm-hmm. That strategy didn't need to exist before the expedite system itself existed. Yeah, I, I so it I agree. calls into effect a counter pressure.
1: It, it's it's still, true. You know, I'm still going to expedite when I submit my articles <laughs> <laughs> for reasons that we talked about in that show. If you want to hear our disagreement about that, which right. I don't think is one of kind, so much in other words, we don't have a an ultimate disagreement about ethics, so much one about the dynamics of the situation. If I recall from that episode,
0: yeah, and and one thing I was thinking as I read the Roth book is. That the morality question, while interesting to me, is 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 probably much less important in the bigger picture of thinking about, all right, well, if you really want to reconceive this thing from, from scratch, right? I think one interesting question to ask is, if you were setting this up today, and if you don't go down the road you suggested, which is
1: there are no law reviews, there's just ssrn or its equivalent which which again does not mean there's not a role for students in scholarship i mean i i would but let's right I, but you yeah. you it'd be something else right
0: so yeah. if you don't go down that road and instead you go down the road of we want to have journals we want to have students edit those journals how does this system how is it going to be set up thinking about that right what's a what's a thoroughgoing redesign of the system i think that's a tougher more interesting ultimately maybe more productive a question the morality question is for me is what would it what might give me the uh fuel to pursue the
1: the the larger question all right as the business guys say let's put a pen in that (laughs) is is that a little foley effect over there yeah (laughs) let's put a pen in that because that does touch on some themes i hope we get to later a little bit later in this episode yeah but there was another comment that we got on the Students' as Means episode from the illustrious and esteemed Derek Muller. The indefatigable. <laughs> the, the irrefragible. The name behind the Muller mic into right. which you're now speaking.
0: And I will, I, you will tell us what Derek said, and I will, I will comment on his uh, statement in the Muller mic.
1: Well, Derek is on record as, as, as before lauding you for your wisdom and 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 commenting on how i'm wrong about everything oh you remember one of those (laughs) some feedback from a while back but here he thinks you're wrong again really yeah in in the following way despite your protestations to the contrary this audience member really enjoyed the students as means podcast do you remember how in that one you kept saying because it was your piece and you kept saying this is so boring nobody wants to hear it and everybody wanted to hear about it joe everybody wants more joe <laughs> so not true. Me, if you're one of those listeners thinking, God would Christian ever shut up and let Joe talk about believe me, I try. I try to get Joe to talk my <laughs> I, I, I agree with you listeners. I want to hear more Joe. You know, this is one where you're like, nah, nobody wants to. This is boring. You could say that like I I think I even edited out two of those. Mm. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And he says he really enjoyed it. Cool. Thank I you, sympathize with most of what was said, but I do have a morality quiz for Joe. Ooh, I love quizzes. Here we go. You ready? I'm totally ready. This is going to test your morality. All right. We already know, by the way, just as a bit of background, I don't know how this cuts. People can think of it different ways. Yeah. But Joe, if you observe a speed trap, an officer with a radar gun, just, you know, and what is a speed trap? Clearly, you know, it went from a 45 to a 35 suddenly, and it's just waiting to get people and, And you go by it. And then you see people coming the other way and you know what they're in store for, right? Right. You know that they're going to be tagged if they're going, you know, if they're not very, very careful. I I am not. Do you flash your lights and let them know about this? not as so far as I can recall. Okay.
0: So. However, let me further adambrate (laughs) that that in discussions about reclining uh, seats on airplanes. Yes. I do not do that. You don't recline. So I think I do not recline. So I think there is a great moral balance. And the monstrosity, in your view, of failing to warn others about speed traps is uh, right in an offset by the fact that I'm not some reclining monster. Well, I
1: never said that you were a monster. I never said that you were, you know,
0: evil. I think if we we rolled the tape, I think I could find you saying that about this issue. (laughs) We'll we'll leave that that to our
1: more um, industrious listeners. Joe, have you ever shopped for an item at Barnes & Noble or Best Buy? Uh, that's a, that's free advertising. I think I'll probably have to cut that out. Yeah, we're buzz marketing. Um, then look to see if the price was cheaper on, and then a famous internet retailer. Okay. And purchase the item there on the famous internet retailer. Just checking. So have you ever done that? You know, you go into a store, you see they've got some item, you know, high ticket item, low ticket item. I don't care what it is. And you see the price and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder, I wonder if I get this cheaper online. Right.
0: Um. No in the specific, but certainly yes in the general. I have comparison chopped. Maybe not in the precise terms that he asks in his morality quiz. And it's a great quiz. It's a wonderful quiz for how, how revealing it is about him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it, it makes the category mistake oh boy. of thinking that our relationship as professors with students in a law review context is anything remotely like
1: i didn't i didn't see that he said that shopping
0: no but it but it's of course I it's think a quiz he,
1: in the context of of i think it made him think about that right but i don't know that he's saying that they're equivalent in any way uh, okay it's i think he i think he may be implying
0: that they are to the extent that he is i say with the greatest affection <laughs> and he is not uh, Just to be clear, he is not. But go ahead. Say for what you're the say. inestimable, <laughs> the 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 priceless Derek Muller, um, uh, that uh, sure I've comparison shopped,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they couldn't have less to do uh, with my essay. I'm I, you know, I'm surprised you didn't say that it was crazy and nuts. I mean, all of our, you know, whether it's me, which you, of course you routinely say that my ideas are nuts. Or our best listeners, like listener Adam, that you went off on that one time when he suggested we went right off on these are
0: these are totally inaccurate descriptions.
1: <laughs> if if Derek Muller was on the receiving end of a Joe rant, then that's how you know you really are a member of the oral argument family. <laughs> uh, I, I've I've done this before. Done what? Before? I've definitely done this before. Where you go in, you know, especially for an expensive item, uh, I think the the internet reduces the reduces the cost of comparison shopping that you might have done anyway, right? Instead of going to two or three, you might've gone to two or three stores for an expensive right, item.
0: It's true. It not only, I mean, it not only facilitates uh, comparison shopping, it it facilitates it in part by making it cheaper to engage in it. Right, uh, And so, yeah, I think that's great. I think
1: comparison shopping is great. And I think the, the you know, the question and, and I asks we... whether you are kind of taking advantage of the brick and mortar, you know, whether you are free riding on the Cost of kind of setting up a shop, and you know, are are you getting value out of seeing the item there? Getting all the information you need that could only be provided in that tactile situation or visual situation, right. and then and then getting the item for well, cheap. Well, that
0: may be, and at these uh, for for people who are interested in in a sort of a legal problem that actually tries to grapple with some of these questions uh, in antitrust, it's called uh, resale price maintenance. And uh, minimum resale price maintenance agreements used to be condemned uh, as unlawful per se under the Sherman Act, but they no longer are. Uh, And there's a case from eh, 2007, uh, something like that, Legion Creative Leather Products, and where the Supreme Court overturns its Dr. Miles decision from 1911, uh, holding them to be illegal per se and says, no, they're just subject to the rule of reason. And the, all of the thinking behind these resale price maintenance agreements is exactly the phenomenon you just described, which is that, you know, part of what you want stores to provide is some education about an item or the ability to try it on, the ability to heft it in your hand, see what it's really like. And if you're the producer and you're distributing it through multiple retailers, and you allow some of those retailers to cut the price just as low as it can go, you're undercutting the ability of the other retailers to engage in services that do help consumers learn more, but are not free to provide.
1: Did this happen in the pre-internet era where there were you know, regular stores that sold you know, appliances and things, and then in town somewhere was just basically a warehouse? They provided no help whatsoever. They just had stuff.
0: It, it absolutely happened. And in fact, there is this very famous antitrust case called Clors. Um and, and I think it's basically about that fact pattern where you've mm-hmm. got um, a, a, a sort of a cutthroat cut rate appliance store yeah, uh, and a department store nearby in town. And what's really going on in the case, although it's not as clear from the Supreme Court opinion, is what's really going on in the case is... You know, two resellers who are taking very different strategies toward customers. One of which wants to invest a lot in paying people to be there to help you to make the purchase. Well, that makes things
1: more expensive. Well, let let me tell you what I would do. Let me tell you what I've done, and you tell me whether I'm an immoral monster. Okay, or, cool. maybe, maybe Derek can tell me. Right. When there is something that I kind of want right now, like I, before, like I've decided, hey, I I think I went to look at. Audiovisual receivers when we were putting this other room together, um, and I needed one. And I was like, "You know what? I can go online and I can say, "But I, you know if I can get one right now, I want to go ahead and get it now, because I I, maybe I want to watch a movie tonight." Right I don't want to wait. So maybe I went to one of these stores, one of these brick-and-mortar AV stores, one of these big sure. maybe big boxing already a question of whether buying at a big box is you, you As know supposed I mean? to yeah, so, Right Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So I go in there and, and I look, and I do look on Internet retailers, famous Internet retailer. To see whether the price is way out of whack. Right. I'm kind of deciding for myself whether what they're asking for is beyond what I think a reasonable premium is for the investment in location and having stock. Okay. Let's face it. Unlike one of these smaller stores, like a specialty AV store where, you know, these people, they know about everything and they can tell you about the new things coming down the pike and they can demonstrate eh, these big box stores. It's, you know, it's people. There are people in there. Right. Mainly, I think, to figure out whether you're stealing stuff. Uh, there are also some people who are, you know, quite well-trained and then maybe they work in the maintenance department or and maybe there's some people who know a little bit about the goods that they're selling. Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speak to it necessarily, but I've not experienced that for the most part. Usually I've gotten misinformation at some of these stores. So, you know, if it's, if it's a $500 good and they want 700, dollars I say 500 on internet retailer, 700 on, uh, at, at brick, brick and mortar, I I would probably conclude for myself, that's more than the premium that you know, that they, that, that they deserve here. For, yeah. And you can,
0: and you could call it, I mean, if nothing else, you, as you yourself have just described your situation, you could just call it the have it now premium. And you're trying to figure out what, wh- how big is the have it now premium? Is it worth, would I pay 50 more dollars? Would I pay 10% above what the big internet retailer right. might provide it? Well, maybe not. Maybe. How much do I really want it today? Yeah. If if
1: you know, looking at no other difference between the two things. And that's the question of whether all they're providing me is habit now. If they also are providing me with information, I'll probably even pay more. You know, I used to shop at um, the Backpacker in South Carolina, a great little backpacking store. We got to know the staff there. And everything was more expensive than if you bought it out of one of these catalogs. Sure. You know, but. Loved it, loved the people, loved the information I got, loved to try stuff out. I'd pay, even when I had no money, because I was, a, you know, an undergrad at that point and then a grad student, I, I would still pay more because I valued what I was getting. Right. I mean, it's... And it would seem like a total betrayal and defection and, and, and free riding in the, in the sort that you think is icky, rather than, you know, as we've discussed on the show in the past, there are plenty of positive examples of free riding standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm, right? But this is not one of those. So And yarn stores
0: is the is the experience I have that is along those lines that you know you can get most kinds of knitting yarn online for less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love supporting Revival Yarns here in Athens. I think they're a great place. Part apparently, of that is because apparently you do. Yeah, and it's partly it's a community thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can go in there, you can talk to people, you meet folks there, you know, and that's great. And uh, is the yarn more expensive? Yeah, there's a have it now benefit. I can walk in and buy a it, have it now if they have what I want. Um, but because it's a store, they, they actually are, I suppose, all the things being equal, less likely to have what I want given that an online yarn store has basically has all of it. Right.
1: They're curating. Yeah. They're curating. They're providing information. And I think it's great. Okay. I think it's totally worth it. So what's the answer to Derek's question?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The answer to Derek's question is, of course I comparison shop. Only a fool wouldn't, and I'm no fool.
1: Okay. On that note, I'm interested to see what he thinks about this. Cool. I I want moral judgment to pour in. (laughs) (laughs) Listener Toby wrote in about the posner garner Scalia dispute. Do you, you remember which episode this was? No. Do you have this in front of you? I do not. Um, and this is, we, we talked about how, and I mentioned how I had assigned the the Posner review of the Scalia garner book to my students in one of my legislation and regulation classes. Yes. And this is Posner talking about textualisms, one, impossibility, and two, conservative bias, and you know basically a defense of pragmatism against what looks apa- like a more apparently objective Um, procedure for interpretation, which in fact is not, as Posner suggests, objective at all. And he says, one aspect of the exchange that I haven't seen discussed is what seems like a clever trick by Posner. He demonstrates the main flaw of textualism by using Garner's current legal dictionary to define, quote, legislative history. He uses an interpretation of the broad dictionary definition that we as lawyers know is wrong, but which fits the dictionary definition. By doing so, he goads Scalia into saying that his intent as the author in using the phrase quote, "legislative history" is what's important, not the dictionary definition. Okay. What do you think? What do I I, think? I don't remember that passage actually. I don't. I mean, I don't remember where that that occurred. But it is interesting, right? That it is it is a um, kind of a marksman's shot, right? To use right the the words legislative history as your example of how intentionalism is right. behind everything.
0: And what what I think is really fun about it as an example is the. Frequency with which you will see in judicial opinions judges quoting dictionary definitions about words that are in very common usage. Um, And that suggests not that they are looking up a, a word or phrase to learn what it means because they didn't know what it meant, but rather to set up a rhetorical position that. Takes advantage of something printed in that dictionary, that that and that is a very common judicial practice. It would seem if you just read court opinions and you say, you know, how, how often are are judges quoting dictionary definitions of common words, words I, that are used yeah. very frequently that any speaker of English would would use effectively and uh, and successfully in conversation or in uh, informal writing on a routine basis.
1: I feel like we're just orbiting around. Larry Solom and semantic originalism and the difference between interpretation and, and construction. I think that's coming for this show, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: undoubtedly. I think
1: that's coming. Unquestionably. And, 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 and so I almost hesitate to say any more. I mean, I've got my own thoughts, part of what I'm writing about now. And then, and, and, uh, you know, Larry's obviously written a lot about this. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Or, or when Posner comes. Is, have you invited Posner yet
0: no I'm not reached out to him yet um
1: I, I will of course as is person. he down in like tier three of the is, invites uh, that
0: <laughs> I, you know I don't have rigid tiers of invites <laughs> like that
1: no in fact
0: you know yeah it's we rolling and anyone who wants to be on the show with us if I'm not aware of your interest you could write you could write us at oral argument podcast at com.
1: yeah Please do, and, and let let us know. Joe we just... Joe handles our bookings, and and part of what you do, Joe, is try to figure out who you know. You don't want to reach out to people that you think wouldn't be interested. Yeah, because that's so,
0: just that's a waste of their time. It's a waste and... of their
1: time. You don't want to make people feel like they have to be on the show if they don't want to. You know, right. and, and a lot of people are naturally reticent to be on the show because they feel like I, I don't get how this could possibly occur after listening to you you, you and me go on like this, but <laughs> that they won't sound good or that you know. Everybody sounds good, right? Especially in comparison to us. Exactly. That's right. our role, as I said on the on on right. uh, the last episode. So uh yeah, get in touch and let Joe know that you want to be on the show or if you have an idea for someone else who would be good on the show. Yeah. This is uh this is and, and you know, Judge Posner, your invitation is outstanding, wouldn't you say? Yes. Judge Reinhardt, Judge Wood. Um and only those three. Any of the justices <laughs> right? Attorney General Lynch, uh huh. Welcome. Listener Kate on Twitter. New yes. listener who yes. just found us and, and and says that she's going back and, li- and listened to, has listened to at this point, a lot of shows, which it, I think is great. It awesome, is great. Right? Welcome, they're,
0: listener Kate. They're all still there. There is a cap on the number of episodes you can listen to backward, and we've established firmly today. Oh, yeah. Uh, with episode 100, that you can listen to everything in between this, between and including zero.
1: You know, and, and it's great that every month, just one day into the month, just about every one of our shows has been downloaded at least once. That's really cool. Isn't it kind of cool? Like the yeah. stuff that we did two years ago now. Hey, anyway, we'll come back to this. But uh, she says that she lists, she says the show can be listened to at 1.5x. Nice. Now, you know what this means, right, Joe? No. Okay, so <laughs> I'm trying to use you as a foil to talk about. And it's know, highly effective. <laughs> and offensive to you, I think, right? <laughs> as a longtime podcast listener. But, you know, in, your, in, in any decent podcast app. Such e- as Overcast. And even in some terrible podcast apps. Such as others. Others. You can adjust the speed, right? And some yeah. of them... Uh,
0: this is a fabulous feature
1: of Overcast that I use. Yeah. Uh, I love using this feature. And so one of the features of Overcast, which this is not, is so-called smart speed. And this... Where it's taking out white Smartly, stars. yeah. It uh, eliminates silences. Yeah. And um, I think that's great. I always have that on for almost too. every show. Yeah. One exception is Radiolab.
0: Yeah, because even the
1: silences are designed. Hey, do you know about their new miniseries about it, the Supreme Court? No yeah
0: they're doing a new miniseries about the supreme court
1: yeah they they are and it's the the first episode about the death penalty is already is already out what is it called uh (laughs) let's let's just tease that we'll talk about it next week (laughs) what is it can you put it in the show notes uh maybe maybe i'll put in the show notes next week let's see how it goes let's see how how it goes it sounds cool it sounds like it's going to be a a limited run miniseries neat Uh, Anyway. It's called a micus. That's that's a callback. It's called called a micus. (laughs) Uh,
0: micus. Ah! It's called a Mikey.
1: (laughs) Uh, But anyway, for certain shows that are engineered where the white space is integral to the show, I won't put on smart speed. For most conversational shows, I'll put on smart speed. But all podcast apps have something where you can adjust the speed. You can actually slow some down and speed some up where it keeps the tone of the voice the same. But kind of smartly goes through, and, and, and some of them do this better than others. Overcast, I think, does it really well. It does. And Kate's suggestion is that you listen to the show at 1.5x. Okay. Joe, what do you, uh, when you listen to shows, how, how, do, how fast do you listen to them? So
0: I don't know a number like the 1.5, mm-hmm. but it, what Overcast has is a series of like tick marks or plus marks. Yes. So I think I'm two plus marks past one.
1: I think it has one, two, three, four, five, and then the sixth one is two x. So I think they're basically sixteen percent increments or so. Okay, so maybe I'm 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 I'm
0: at the one and then two plus signs over. Oh, really? So I'm not even at one and a half.
1: So I have gone. I started at one point one because I was kind of a purist, believe it or not, early in the early. Wow, <laughs> you're <smart>. yeah, Surprising. <laughs> uh, but now I pretty much listen to all podcasts except for a few. At 2x minus one notch. Okay. Yeah. And I could not handle that at all. Oh, but you can, you build up to it and it just makes everything much better. This is like the frog in the hot water.
0: (laughs) Uh, I've tried to listen to things at higher speeds. Yes. I find it very anxiety producing (laughs) to listen to things at higher speeds. This is a So I don't do it.
1: (laughs) I will say that (laughs) I have this mental image of you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with your podcast app and you and you've committed okay i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try it and you, and you slide the thing over to like 1.8x or something like that and break you're breaking out in a sweat and kind of just jittering a little yeah, bit it really makes me uncomfortable and because <laughs> i think we sound much smarter at 2x joe really yeah well i mean let's face it anything is an improvement right mm. <laughs> but especially after you've been listening to spring court oral, oral arguments at 2x and you listen to it at 1x oh they, be they, so oh, they sound be Everyone sounds. I don't listen so to anything slow. at one.
0: I always add that, like I said, yeah. the okay. two tick marks or maybe even a third tick mark. Okay,
1: so Joe's recommendation is one hundred and sixteen to one hundred and thirty-two percent for the show. Right.
0: Kate is saying Kate 150%. is saying one hundred and fifty percent,
1: which is in overcast one hundred and forty-eight. I guess. Okay. Yeah, depending on how it, and I suggest one eighty-four to two hundred with I smart guess. speed on. Ooh. And and look, I'm it. It will take some getting used to. Yeah. But I would just give it a shot. That's all I'm saying. Like, let it go for a little bit, and eventually you'll say, "Oh, this is much better." You can't. You can't go lower. Yeah, you'll either love it or, uh, you know, you'll induce a flop sweat. Did you see this feedback we got from listener Michael about the political process implications of prosecutors bringing indictments I long after an arrest? And
0: yeah, I read you, it, and I found that? it very troubling. But I didn't. I couldn't. Um, because he was describing practices in, he was comparing practices in the state of Florida and the state of Georgia, right? And the role of, you know, bail requests. Um, can you say what it is, or criminal you, information and criminal
1: indictment? Hmm? Can you can you summarize the point, or I can't
0: from <laughs> from
1: recollection, but okay. that, but
0: that's because in part I had difficulty understanding. I think because I don't haven't ever been in criminal practice. Yeah. I was having trouble understanding some well, of the details. He, here's my understanding. What I gathered yeah. from the details though was my, uh, here's my recollection okay. of reading it is that it was very disturbing. Uh, the degree to which, um, these factors are in the unfettered control of a prosecutor in terms of delay being in jail, not having been indicted, not being brought on for trial, uh, the role of, uh, uh, of bail bondsmen and all of that process. It just it sounded pretty. Uh, I th- he described
1: the following and, and I have no, I didn't even think this was legal. I, I don't know much about criminal procedure, certainly not to this degree. He described a system in which in, in Georgia, I may be getting this wrong. So, you know, this is, you know, this is, do you think this is enough, uh, warranty and, uh, exclusions and, and, and disclaimers? Yeah. Okay. I, look, okay. Pe-
0: people, listeners, <laughs> there might
1: not even be a state of Georgia. That's what we're, <laughs> is what we're trying to say. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: that the police will catch somebody, there will be charges and there will be a hearing on those charges, a probable cause hearing for the arrest. Right. And after that, the person will be jailed if there is probable cause for the detention, there'll be the opportunity for bail. So there'll be a bail hearing, but then an actual indictment upon which a trial may occur, may not occur for, I forget what he said, like a year down the, or even more. I mean, it was a long time. Yes. Whereas in Florida, he described a system where the, the indictment has to follow within 30 days or, or some short period. My memory is 30 days is what he said. Does that sound right to you? Yes. and and this
0: is—it sounds that's my recollection. And so people
1: who can't afford bail are sitting in jail without a charge, right? I mean, without an without an indictment,
0: right? And of course, it the it's the existence of the indictment that is going to bring on a trial. And so, if your speedy trial rights—if you think of that general concept, not with respect to any particular criminal system, but just the notion that everyone's better off if trials are had sooner rather than later—yeah, the innocent are better off the guilty are better off in the sense of testimony is yeah. more accurate and is evidence it, is fresher yeah. and all. So uh, everyone's better off that to the degree that you're waiting for a formal trigger to get that thing started. The indictment is that trigger.
1: I just thought the speedy trial right attached at the moment of, of, you know, detention, well, it, but this is, this shows how little I know. And I need to actually to teach some, the class in order may in to understand it. in some particular it. system, but yeah. it
0: may not in some other system. I thought it was
1: federal law, but I, this is, I just don't know. I, right. you know, I, I, I don't know. and, It sounds crazy to me. It seems to me that that speedy trial is a federally guaranteed right and it should attach the moment you're detained for a charge. And if the indictment is based on that charge, then the speedy trial clock should reach back to the moment of charging rather than indictment. You know, the moment of detention, the moment you are no longer free, right? That's, I'm shocked that it doesn't. Um, But again, I I didn't look back at my, like my law school notes to remember how this, how this worked. And and this is something that we should do a show on at some point. Mm. You know, the. A lot of people are writing these days about the collateral consequences of arrest, and not mm, just uh, true. Not just uh, imprisonment or, or right. conviction, right? And and this seems like another one. That you're kind of caught up in a system where you are you can't work, right? right? You you're losing income. You may be fired. I mean, all you know, all this. The system is more than just question answer question answer in terms of trial, conviction, trial acquittal. Right? There's more to it than that. Anyway, I think and it's the, really interesting.
0: And the so, discretion of of who has what discretion at these various steps is critically important to understanding how these things play out in real time. Yeah. And uh, for real people. Yep. So I think it would be a good discussion.
1: Now we had another listener who specifically requested anonymity. And so I'm not even going to mention this listener's first name. Cool. Which is, I take the opportunity to mention that because if you're a listener and you want to write in, but you don't want to even be identified by your first name, just say you that's want to be a, anonymous. That's okay, and we'll just we'll, we'll just read it. Um, Absolutely. And if you don't want us to read it at all, you can say that. If you, you can, and and I'm not actually gonna. Well, I might read from a little portion of this, but uh, th- this this is a listener who was concerned about um, how things like dress codes for the bar exam and other professional requirements have a culturally exclusive quality to them, mm. right? That, in other words, you have to dress like this, but of course that. That uh, that mandate comes from a particular cultural position, like men have to wear suits, women have to wear this, and so it continues a certain cultural assumption about what people should look, and it may not encompass what people in other cultures wear, right? Uh, And so there's kind of a you might you you might say inherent racism to it, right, or at least inherent culturalism or hegemony, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it.
0: Yeah, depending on the details of the of the requirement itself,
1: and the listener thinks it would be great for us to do a show on the extent to which, as, as this listener puts it, the norms of professionalism are maybe unintentionally uh, imposing cultural, sexist, racist kinds of yeah. norms on, on so the, the members. disparate impact idea. Yeah. Now, we did do a show on the bar exam. We did. And we talked about dress codes in that episode. And specifically the Virginia bar. Right. Which,
0: so, I, which I took, and therefore yeah. I'm aware of what the dress code was at the time.
1: And so I, I will definitely drop a link to that in the show notes and i i i think that was one of our good shows yeah <laughs> one of the we've good had, ones right we've had good shows <laughs> yeah. that we that i think say is that one of my such memory that, my memory is that's one of the good ones Yeah. Uh, but i i think the question to the extent that we didn't get into i think we can do more with this idea of professionalism we've talked we've kind of danced around it before yep i've described it as a little bit creepy yeah it's a word you don't like it's a word that i don't like but it's not because i necessarily reject all the all the virtues that people see in professionalization. Right. Right. And we've talked about this a bit before. I, there's, I think there's more to do here. hmm I think there's more to do. Okay. So maybe this it. won't be our last show. Thanks oh, we're not just going to pack it in after today? No, I think after, I was going to, but then I got this. Yeah, you're right. There's feedback. More to, from, there's
0: more to do. Right. More earth to,
1: more earth to till. Listener Fisher on the T3 Jedi show. Oh. And homework listeners, who is the T3 Jedi? <laughs> That was there, our. There's how, only one. <laughs> this was right uh, now.
0: Only one survives. This, this was one two,
1: sh- two shows ago. So this must have been episode 98. And and th- and listener Fisher loved this show. It was a great conversation. It, it was really great. Uh, Kessler and Posen on a on a piece that they'd written about meta theory, basically, yeah. right? And, and legal theories working themselves impure. Yeah. And so we got a lot of interest in this. And 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 Fisher says as evidence of how well you sold the article, I'm opting to read it tonight instead of my bar review course homework. Yay. Now. Now, we are not liable for anyone's failure of the bar because they're listening to the show or because they're reading things that we've linked. If you were studying for the bar... Nor should Kessler and Posen take it amiss
0: uh, that they've been compared to bar materials. (laughs) Um, And and it doesn't surprise anyone to hear that they are chosen instead of the bar materials. (laughs) Because virtually anyone would make that choice. But... um, And certainly, anyone as smart as Fisher is, based on Fisher's remark, which was a really interesting observation. Well, he says
1: something that came to mind when I was listening was that as a particular theory becomes impure, so and here we're talking about prescriptive legal theories, like the theory of cost-benefit analysis or the theory of originalism, or one of the theories of originalism. So we're talking about prescriptive legal theories uh, that, as one of those ideas about how to resolve cases, uh, becomes impure, and the theory's foundation foundational principles are rendered more obscure a judge employing that theory is just quote doing law like the less pointed a theory becomes utilizing it becomes more of a judicial style than an interpretive theory i'm no expert but it was a very interesting thought to me
0: yeah and i i, I think it was a a really interesting observation and um i think it is true that as the as the, as theories get impurified in the way that the uh, the kessler and posen piece describes it, it does feel less, for, for, for any jurist who's out there just looking for tools that are helpful for resolving cases, and the lawyers who are briefing matters before those judges, and they're therefore also looking for materials, the impure theories are probably the ones that feel less freighted or charged with some sort of ideological position. And so, yeah, it just feels more like you're just doing law. You're
1: just talking about some
0: cases, talking about what makes sense, talking about- You a make pr- it
1: sound more casual, but d- is it more doing law, and to to impose another theory here, in the Dworkinian, Herculean sense, right? So, so Dworkin's Hercules is the one who's able to see all of the principles that have been used to decide all these cases, and try to tries to fit them together in what he calls a way that fits, in a way which best justifies the whole, and which I might call a way which is acceptable. Yeah, but I wouldn't- Is that the want I
0: don't want to give the- I don't want to yank in the Hercules- thing i just the chain letter or chain novel yeah. thing makes is a less wanted way to maybe say it um, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah it, the the impure state of theory m- makes it easier to weave it in as the next chapter of a thing written by multiple authors i
1: think because and, you're weaving in multiple strands right? right and and the pure theory is a single strand that's what I, the image i got in my yeah. head when i was reading that so i think that you yeah, i think there's a lot to that observation Let's turn to a, the final two pieces of feedback, which I think go together and get to something I want to talk about, like you know what I want to talk about, Joe? No, why do we do this show? do we do the show you know what is this should we keep doing the show I don't is know. this is this a good thing well let me let me get to two pieces of feedback, which kind of go to i think they kind of go to our jobs mm. you know and, and what we're trying to do here um one uh, is this fr- is
0: great i I'm really glad that there people have given you an occasion to to <laughs> To say that, because I would like to hear it. I think I've oh. earned that 100 episodes in. I think I've earned hearing your thoughts about what we're doing and why.
1: Right. Well, you are not, um, I, I know one reason you were you, I know one reason that is not a reason you are doing this. Okay. And that is the high remuneration. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not your co-hosting fees. No. You're, no. Mm-mm. Now this show is nothing but cost in terms of monetary. True. Um, yeah. Um. You know, you got an for, opportunity. You got to pay for the website. Yeah, exactly. Well, the opportunity is the bigger cost, clearly, yeah. but still there's stuff. So two pieces of feedback. One is from uh, Matthew Bodie.
0: The wonderful Professor Matthew Bodie. Yeah,
1: who has uh, sent along the link about the um, – is it the St. Louis University podcast that he sent along uh, a link? I think he did send us that at one yeah. point, yeah. I but, think we've linked that up before. But that's not the thing he's pointing no. out this time. He was, this it, time he just – e- I think that the email – and I only saw it through Slack when you, when you right. dump and the email it into was, Slack. Right, and title and a link. And I did not write down the title, but I think uh, the title referred to my suggestion on an earlier show. And Was it the students' meeting? and Maybe it was an earlier show. Uh, no. no, it was the blue, one of the blue book shows. That no, we did. it was the student as means,
0: that that getting rid of law reviews and just having it be SSRN.
1: Oh, okay. Um, and, and that sounds too strong because, again, my suggestion was not that students not be involved in the process. It's that we rethink this thing from the ground up and that... Yeah, law reviews would be yeah. doing something else. Yeah. And where people would be sharing their scholarship would yeah. be on SSRN. But, that was what you said. Right. And Matthew sent along the link to... This big news now. What is the big news, Joe? The big LA?
0: news is SSRN selling itself to Elsevier, <laughs> um, which is apparently the Dutch word for, you know, scholarly publishing Satan.
1: <laughs> there are a lot of people very, very unhappy about this sale.
0: Open access, academic, and scholarly publishing is an issue that um, has that I've certainly been aware of since not long after I entered law teaching. I I help bring together a group of folks at Lewis and Clark, where there's a Lewis and Clark law review issue about this topic Mm -hmm. um, in the legal publishing world and, uh, and the the law review literature world. And I think it's a open access is an important idea. And Elsevier has certainly been a bit of a villain in the, in the context of scholarly publishing.
1: I'm going to link up three, three things on this. One is, Michael Jensen's announcement on right. SSRN yep. about the sale. Uh, the other is an article on, is it science blog, I think, uh, from John Dupuy. And another is a Medium article by um, Paul Gowder, uh, law prof, right. which is very interesting, called SSRN has been captured by the enemy of open knowledge, <laughs> to make, <laughs> to <laughs> make to your point. Not to make your a point on it. Um, and, and also in we there... We need to have him on as a guest. We really do about this, actually. Professor Gowder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and he's, I follow him, he's super interesting. Yeah. I, I think it'd be great. And he's calling people to action, like, let's get a replacement going for this. Right. Right. Let's get it. Because um, I, I snarked on Twitter, too, about this sale that I'm sure that they right. think I snarked that they that I'm sure that Elsevier paid top dollar for SSRN's special competence and expertise in hosting PDFs and a website. <laughs> uh, but of course, they're buying the data. They're buying right. they're, they're buying this this network, which is now somewhat sticky to leave and get out of. Right. And it's. And the broader, and I can't remember, I, re- I know that I first
0: saw it via a link that Pam Samuelson provided. It's this hmm. piece where someone susses out the, you know, what they're looking for are the data about scholars behaving in the midst of research papers. Right as a way to sell metrics back to universities. Yeah, I, uh, uh, and I think that's an important piece. And I think it's an important insight into what their strategy is and okay. these metrics businesses that okay. have been popping up. I'm feeling a little bit sick right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's a real uh, thing uh, that's happening. And I th- and uh, so I think understanding why Elsevier would be interested in acquiring the SSRM platform, even in a context where they do nothing to change it, In terms of its basic open character, right? You can upload things. You people can download. Well, they said this, and
1: I don't have it in front of me from the from the release, but they they said that nothing would change in the short term. I even think they used the word short term, and that I I think in in Michael Jensen's uh, announcement of this mentioned that they're they were aligned in terms of open access because they, you know, SSRN had always been open to the posting of non copyrighted articles. And so these are like pre, you know, we are committed to posting working papers that have right. not been published, which is,
0: a, which is a weird conflation of it, it to the, to, by calling them uncopyrighted, that's sort of a weird misnomer yeah, in, I, in terms he, of literal copyright. Let me loss. just say, so, I don't,
1: I'm not sure that he, you know, I, I'm not sure they use those terms. They were probably much more careful than I just was as, is, you know, as are most people <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean, right? That, that we're talking about, uh. They are saying that they are happy to host things which are, are – are, where the copyrights are not owned by other people who would not be happy having them posted at SSRN. Yes. Yeah. And in other words, working papers where the copyright is owned by no one other than the author at the time that they are posted.
0: Sure. And, or, or even formally published pieces well, where is, the author retains the copyright. But this is a question. Are which they is, now going to look is, through these
1: agreements? Because a lot of what's posted on SSRN are final versions of papers.
0: Yes, and and where the author owns the copyright to that piece, um and and that would be spelled out in the author's agreement with the law review that published mm-hmm. the piece, right? Right. Um then the, there's no problem with that any more than there is with the manuscript. Of course, copy. but
1: I think the SSRN, first of all, does does not review these have you ever been asked to provide a contract to SSRN? No. no. Okay. So I think there's actually my guess is that there is a fair amount of stuff up on SSRN, which is up there in, you might say, in violation of the agreement. It's possible, I, right? It's, of course, possible.
0: I do not have that. In, I do not share your intuition. I think the law reviews and authors... You think they're
1: almost all non-exclusive licenses. ...are reasonably
0: clear with each other about mm-hmm. what is and isn't permitted, and, they, and the, the, the things that you will not see there are formally published versions from the law reviews that are powerful enough to insist on and continue for their own reasons to insist on receiving the copyright. So we're talking about things like like Columbia Law Review, Harvard Law Review, Stanford Law Review. We're also
1: talking about economics. Uh, papers I mean, the SSRN is broader than just law. I
0: understand that, but law is what I have experience yeah. with and and uh, and so that's what I w- would speak to. I'm I mean, not I found speak with yeah. uh, I, you know do they have sociology papers? i uh, I'm
1: sure they do, and I don't know the first thing about it. I bet they're a paper. I'm just saying I think that it, it's this idea that kind of uh, posting things and having free access to things for which there is not formal copyright permission, this again, this notion of property outlaws, right? That, that we're stretching the boundaries of copy. That's important. Like it gives some, some play in the joints for a, a, an acceptable system where publishing companies will publish things in books or in journals, and they will charge high prices to libraries who are pr- pretty much the only people who pay for these things. Uh, and, and still, we can get access instantaneously without complicated subscription agreements and other things. Like you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to find an article... Uh, especially if it's not in law, but even if it is in law, I'll start with Google Scholar. I'll try to find a PDF version. And more often than not, the PDF is, well, I would not say more, sometimes it's by these open repositories that a few institutions have. Right. I have no idea what the copyright agreements are there. Oftentimes it's just some random PDF copy that someone has used in a course somewhere that they found. Okay. And I'll just download and read that. Do you not do that? Um, I have... This is this is your morality quiz number two for the day. Uh,
0: I'm I'm sure I've I'm sure I have found things that way. Uh, like you, I I Google and try to find different sources for things. Um, I, I I want it I want it reliable. I want to reference something re- that's reliable because ultimately I'm probably trying to cite something. So I, I I do think it's better to have things from sources where the reliability
1: is sort of built in at a higher. At higher level, yeah. I'm just talking about PDFs that show the actual law review pages. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah. Law, you know the the irony is, um, uh, I think people in other disciplines have far more cause to be alarmed, yeah, uh, about Elsevier's acquisition of SSRN than law professors do, because we we law review publishing relative to what I understand to be the case in other disciplines is highly porous with respect to access to the formally published pieces. yeah, You can, the law review, the law reviews put them on their own websites. It's very easy to find things there if it was published recently. And even in some cases archived some years back. Sure. Sure. Um, So, you know, we, we don't have anything. Law does not have anything approaching the intensity of the problem that I understand to exist in other disciplines.
1: Fair enough. I, I think Matthew's point here is that right after I'd made the suggestion about something like SSRN being able to solve the problem of communication among scholars. Right. And that there wasn't a reason to go through this second layer of matching that you've described earlier and student work and everything else, that we should have a, a system where we can post when we're ready yep. and then we can communicate with each other about those things. So yep. I, I suggested an SSRN-like system that involved comments and right. maybe endorsements of The thing kinds. that's
0: tricky is... It's... And then right
1: after I suggest that, it's bought by, right. <laughs> it's bought by Elsevier, which has a history of Pretty aggressive copyright enforcement, yeah, and control. L-
0: let's just let's just put it out there uh, by Darth Elsevier.
1: Um, <laughs> I <don't>, and the, <laughs> I have no personal experience with Elsevier. Why? Uh, the I don't even know if you pronounce it Elsevier. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So that shows how little we, you know, right. Yeah.
0: What I think is interesting is how hard it is to create institutional. Uh, Frameworks and net uh, and and how hard it is to lash yourself against decisions in the future to tie up tie yourself to a mass to that where you the, the you know the bounds can't be broken right mm-hmm. so you could say well, we'll never sell uh, well today we decided to sell right? yeah um so things like um land trust and other models that try to perpetually commit resources uh, uh to prevent various forms of opportunism mm-hmm. um it's really hard it's a difficult problem well, to solve
1: you, and i don't know how ssrm was originally established but uh it, i don't think it was as a 501c3 with a charter which would have suggested that this would be contrary to it but i don't i don't know i mean that's the answer seems to be a, a, you know a charity you know right. set up to promote open knowledge who sets up a website which does what we want which is to store pdfs and maybe right. host comment threads right right uh yeah I, and, I, and I think there could be,
0: certainly there could be set up an institution, a website with a more permanent uh, commitment, something like a more permanent commitment that would reassure people that this wouldn't happen at some point down the road. Uh, but even in that context, you know,
1: but it might close. Well, let's know. come back to this, and I, I want to, yes, exactly. So I, it's it's tough yeah. to create in, to create really durable institutions. And. It's hard to talk about this without getting to the point of our jobs, Ooh. Yeah. right? And, and so let's 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 as as the business people say again, let's put a pin in that for a second. <laughs> let's do one more bit of feedback, and we'll just spend a few minutes thinking about our jobs if okay. you want. If you want to do that, yeah, okay. Some more feedback we've gotten over time has been from David Ziff on Twitter. Mm. Um, also, I love following David; lots of interesting uh, ideas on his Twitter stream, mm-hmm. and. I don't know if he's actually going to go through with it, but he, t- he tweeted that he was going to be writing a. Did he say it was a review of the Blue Book or something about the Blue Book this summer? I don't know if he's actually doing it, but he he tweeted that he was, and 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 said that he would be considering things like our shows about the Blue Book. Cool. Now his earlier tweets had emphasized what he saw as very important facets of the Blue Book and and reasons for its seemingly Byzantine rules, and <laughs> reasons to be. Uh, skeptical and even just to um, reject my simplifying proposal and the proposals of others like Judge Posner to burn all the copies of the blue book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and these, are the, so I, I tried to extract, he had a kind of a tweet stream about this, which I don't think is storified, so I'm not sure I can link it very easily. But hmm. but he says that you know the, the purpose of a citation system in law should be to disambiguate materials, right? Clearly to disambiguate materials. Uh, to provide consistency of citation across articles and not just within an article, right. and that this had a benefit for the students, right? So he's saying it's not just to make it look good, it's also to make it easier for the students so they don't have to learn a new way of citing with every article. They just yeah. internalize the rules they're able to do it. Right. Um, That, in fact, adherence to the Blue Book is, in a way, optional. Like, you can, you know, if it's not perfectly Blue Book, the students will do it when you send it in. But also, there are other organizations which have their own citation systems, like the United States Supreme Court. So, in fact, the Fair Blue Book enough. is not a monopoly. Right. And he thinks that rules here rather than standards are better because they lower the cost of decision, right? So every time I'm thinking about how to cite something, like mine is, you know, I think I said it's like author, comma, title, uh, uh, and then in parentheses date, and then the whole thing is hyperlinked, right? And you get link rod eventually, but the point is you have good leads to go on, Mm -hmm. right? And I think this would disambiguate. Nearly all materials, you know, if there are two decisions with exactly the same name on exactly the same day, you would have to put a parenthetical referring to, you know, to the extent the link doesn't do it for you. Right. uh, And the link would, you know, I think, don't think you could count on the links always being there. So you would put in parentheses some additional information, but that's something you have to make a judgment about. And I think David's point is that if you have a system that doesn't rely on that, that, you know, as a rule disambiguates materials, that's a good thing. I, I bring this one back because I think this is also about our jobs. Like, what are we doing? It, it, it's it's hard to talk about the Blue Book, oddly enough, as as tangential as it seems to everything else without getting a little bit existential again about what it is we're trying to do. So let's shift to that. You, you do see. want to shift to that. Yeah, I do. Huh. Okay. So you want to shift to, like, whether we should keep doing this show?
0: <laughs> well, however you had formulated it in your mind. Well, and you said you want to spend a few minutes talking about what our jobs are and what we do and what, what say, say, okay. So even if we don't get back to, to, even if
1: we don't get back to David's ideas, we highlighted some of his good thoughts about this. We're eager to hear more and we will talk about it more later. And I think it's
0: worth, I mean, I'm glad to hear he, 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 he is thinking about it and, and may comment on it at greater length because I do think it's, worth I think it's worthy of, I mean, the, 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 uh, Spring Malamud project of the Indigo book or whatever it's name now is. Um, I mean, that's worthy, uh,
1: David's comments will be interesting. I look forward to seeing them. And, and support a system like the Indigo book. There's nothing in here, in, in what he said, that supported the idea that it should be a Very monopoly. Very true. Right? Yeah.
0: Um, your thoughts about how we could streamline things down to an absolute bare bones, that's interesting. The fact that there's a, a, a there's a profession-wide coordination problem yeah. that needs to be addressed, uh, given that the profession is heavily reliant on keeping good track of specific utterances from the past that people can reference as authoritative, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that heightens the the need for a solution to this coordination problem. You know, that... Uh, That's part of why I think it's worthy of these of people paying attention to it and trying to do something useful and good about it and trying to think carefully and productively about it.
1: See, for me, I'm I'm connecting this back. I I have a very practical level of disagreement with the at a very practical level, I disagree with the blue books scheme, right? And that's what we've talked about this before. No reason to go back to it now until we hear more about what David has to say, maybe. But it also, to me, is symbolic of the friction and misdirection, um of ideas and the public good of the development of ideas which we are supposedly paid to do and to convey and the outputs that we are expected to produce um, i don't know if i said that right but that the the blue book is one of those elements that diverts ideas into something else that makes the product of an idea look different than the idea itself um, and, and obscures it right so the The very like Byzantine nature of the blue book, its formal requirements, the typography, the way that an article looks when it's blue booked, and there's a parenthetical you know with a pen site and all you know there's a pen site and there's a parenthetical and you've followed all the rules, it has a certain look to it right a certain what I would characterize as like ornate heaviness to it almost right, right? that and and you can always like it's not an actual bar to doing anything because you can get research assistants to do this for you right, but that it it makes the product of academic research look a particular way uh, and and then you start to kind of i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm reaching here i'm thinking out loud okay, so cool. just that <laughs> and maybe not well but you're at least talking out loud that, you might also be thinking <laughs> what, what, i definitely am thinking but i don't okay. know if the thinking and the talking are related all right that's that should be that, shoot, that shoot, could be the subtitle get, of our shot. whole that could be the subtitle of our whole show <laughs> uh, but that the um The the products that we produce in in our jobs as as law professors and um, and maybe even appellate brief writers, right? They have a they are not the same as the ideas that animate those things, right? They are embodiments of ideas, and the degree to which rules kind of get in the way of embodying those ideas in a good way, in an efficient way, which allows for a good clear. Constant interaction of ideas. Darcy agrees. She's yeah. been snoring this whole time. I don't know if our microphones are picking up her snoring. <laughs> no, Darcy. Uh, I I think that's a bad thing. In other words, I think the blue book is kind of a symbol of the uh, kind of a a negative professionalization of academic ideas that, hmm. that gets in the way. And 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 one one ways one of the ways that this manifests is the article that has four hundred footnotes. that We talked about this before, right? Now yeah. some of them need it, right? But this the point is, is that they all now get it because that's what an academic article, that's what one of our products looks like. It's what people expect it to Part be. of what I part of the point you're making, part of a dis part of a
0: quibble I have with it is that I don't think it's the blue book itself, which is simply a system of citation that is responsible. It's the norms in law reviews and among law review editors as they pass on this culture to new members that insists on this sort of hyper citation um the uh the blue book is not the blue book is a a set of instructions about how to make a citation when you decide to make one here's my hypothesis it's though, Joe. it's not about i know i know the norms in the law review that say right. oh if we if there's not a footnote at the end of each sentence i feel right. a great but you see pitch of
1: anxiety right. and therefore i must insist on that's not in the blue book. I you don't see think. what my cla- my 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 hypothesis is, and this is my suspicion: is that the blue book, because it is so hyper technical and contains so many pathways and rules, okay, requires a certain expertise to apply. Yes, students acquire that expertise, right? Right, and they measure the quality of a product that they ship according to its compliance with those rules. In other words, you know, this is the same, this is a variation on the idea that if you yeah, measure something, you but change the, it.
0: The degree of compliance
1: is different from the quantity of complying I, I items. But what I'm saying though is I, I think that the expertise required with this Byzantine system is, is, is so high and takes so much input in terms of labor yeah. that it becomes in the mind of the editors the more important part.
0: I think that's, there's and then clearly, because
1: we are appealing to those people... We, I agree.
0: There's clearly a connection there. And the yeah. fact that... the fact That's that, all I'm claiming is there is the, a connection. There's a connection there. I agree. And the fact that law reviews are not competing with one another on on this dimension, I think, is a, is a could be taken to be evidence of the strength of that connection. Yeah. Right? They don't view this as a way they could distinguish themselves from one another. Right. And you might think they might think that if they were not... Bound in in some way that makes it impossible for them to see above the horizon. Right. That why aren't they rethinking that? Um, so I f- that's totally a fair point. Uh, it's to me, it's uh, you're, you're kind of reminding me of a, it. In a way, it's like the argument against a standing army. If you if you have a standing army, people are going to want to use it. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. If I've le- if I've developed this expertise, what the heck did I do that for? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't something we all really needed to use and use a lot. Right. So you need more footnotes. The compliance of which I can test and improve and insist upon, right? That's all fair, I think. And, and would would radically simplifying or even somewhat simplifying the blue book have the effect of relieving some of that hyper footnoting in the law use? It might. It of course, it might be too late for that. Right, this is. It's never too might, late. This might be a deformation of the body that can't be undone. Right there, when you bend an iron pipe and you let it go, it doesn't spring back to where it was before, as so you're not pushing on it anymore. So we don't know whether this is a thing
1: that could flow backward. Maybe it could. Well, so be interesting to find yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I I have a sense that uh, that there is this. Hmm. Wait, can I make one last observation? one of our good shows? One of our good shows was Heart of Darkness. This is an early show about the rankings. Mm. You remember this? I do. Well, go ahead and make your point.
0: It's an interesting counter, an an interesting fact that that is that judicial opinions don't have this problem. Mm -hmm. And they exist in the same world as the Blue Book. And they exist with some of the same people, which is to say young lawyers who probably weren't that long ago on those law review editorial boards. Yeah. In many instances, right? Yeah. Um, but of course, there's a whole other set of pressures, and those pressures are coming from the judge or judges who are in who are presiding over, among other things, the production of those judicial opinions. And and those haven't become 500 footnote laden pieces of
1: writing. They can be three pages to 300 pages, depending on the needs of the case.
0: And whether they are three or three hundred, I think they contain fairly minimal complexity citations right there There are case names, there are some journal article names, there are some statutory citations uh it's it's not it they aren't filled with the the sort of high baroque it's another thing that's been uh, having just seen several churches and cathedrals. Uh, In Germany, Austria, and Hungary, Um, I can tell you uh, what Rococo (laughs) really looks like. Yeah, Uh, and what what Rococo law review footnotes are definitely Rococo. Uh, (laughs) Judicial opinions are not. Yeah, and and they exist in the same citation system. I think that's interesting. Some are better.
1: Some are better written than others. It's an interesting contrast. They don't judicial opinions. I'm I'm speaking with respect to citations in particular. Yeah, no, they in a way they don't have buyers, right? Um, they, you know a, a judge who is ambitious and wants to be elevated to an appeals court or the Supreme Court or you know up the chain in the state courts, I suppose there are buyers, and I suppose there are buyers to the extent you're trying to convince your colleagues, there are buyers to the extent you're trying to insulate what you're doing from review, and a judge may have an internal sense of an obligation to. The state and to the people and to the litigants to write an excellent opinion. So mm-hmm. I I don't mean to suggest that there are no incentives for a judge, but there aren't buyers in the same way. There's not uh, there's not as direct a sense of transaction with a judicial opinion as there is with an article. Right. Well,
0: I mean, to me, the real difference is simply who the the what you described was a world in which the students are both the ones investing in in mastering the blue book. And they're the ones making decisions about what needs to be in the piece. Right. Right. That
1: isn't true in the... Jewish exactly. I, I agree with you completely. I'm just trying to think through some other incentives. And, I, and and that was my original point, right? That it's the conjunction of those, the very close cognitive conjunction of blue booking and piece review. You know, right. they, they always go together. That that shapes one's taste about what, what an article should look like. Because, yes. you know, if you, you're you coming in for a year, you've only been doing this for a little bit, and you're like, I, you know, the one thing I don't want to do... Is completely um, uh, take a nosedive with this law journal. I've now been given the keys to right. Right. So,
0: and, and if you if you've had experience with other citation systems, the the um, the one I experienced in psychology before going to law school, um, uh, the uh, and I the, the I can't remember the formal name now, um, but uh, the uh, don't I'm worry, sure. I'll, I'll retcon it.
1: Hmm. I'll retcon it. Don't worry. Cool
0: uh i'm sure the m- medical like scholarship in the medical sciences and and medicine ha- probably has a different system and you know so there are other systems of course i think many of them are noticeably more simple and straightforward yeah. oh, that yeah. could be because All of, of a, a of a simpler base of materials that get cited on a regular basis yeah.
1: So they so they haven't had to develop the kind of sophistication, the transnational that stuff that we have. Might, I mean, like yeah. we we mentioned this on an earlier show, right? A lot of what the right. typography signals and everything else is like how to find something in a physical library, right?
0: Yeah, and and uh, the point I was trying to make is simply that that uh, if you've been exposed to those other systems, the the notion that the blue book could be radically simplified and still very much serve a, a useful and helpful function. It is, that's very much a live idea. It is not hard to reach the conclusion that you could simplify it It, and even not simplifying it to your blue line proposal, but something in between where it is now and that it could be a lot simpler, still do great work for the legal profession and the legal scholarship system uh, and maybe have less of this pressure towards silliness that you've been describing. Yeah, that's, that's the, and that's where I
1: wanted to end the show. That's where I wanted to get with. To yeah, get to have on the we show today. This, well, you know, we do? I, I don't know if you know this about me, Joe, but I I tend to carry around a little bit of existential angst. Okay. Have you noticed this about me?
0: The way you're pulling on your own hair right now <laughs> is an
1: indication of that <laughs> truth. Uh, I this is maybe, you know, I'm I'm always thinking about foundations of things and other things. You know, I just am, this someone got to. you can't run from who you are, I think, right? That's and, so true uh yeah so this is this is this has been me and i i can't help but keep thinking about like are we doing what we should be doing in this profession that we're what should we be doing what should i be doing is the basic question right that's isn't that you know what should i do is always the question before us each day when we get up don't you think yeah yeah.
0: what should i do would be an important question well i also find myself asking what am i doing (laughs) It's, that's a, maybe that's a little more disturbing, sometimes than having that question.
1: But, um, but yeah, I see the point. That you're who, making... who is this other person who's controlling my body? <laughs> no, I, I. So when I think about the blue book and I think about these constraints that we have, I, I see them all as these are means we have, and SSRN versus journals, or the, uh, these are all the structures that exist to do this transmission of knowledge, right. this public good, which for whatever reason we think, can't be provided by the market in general, right? And, and therefore, we need to set up this other system where the teaching of law and the production of ideas about law go together. There's probably reason to think those should go together. But given that great gift, that gift of, of teaching and being charged with with advancing the state of knowledge about law, again, putting to one side that law has problems in terms of, you know, a theory of truth, in terms of a theory of the good, right. in terms of an objective standard of merit, right? But, all that's problematic, but, but but the placing of law within the
0: university, which mm-hmm. is one way to s- describe what you've just—that's one way to restate what it, what you've just
1: said. It's a better a, way? A better way? Not
0: necessarily yeah. better. It's yeah. a, but it but it is it but it is the like why not just have law schools be in the same situation as schools that teach people how to repair cars? Uh, because there are not auto repair units in major research universities. Um, but there are law schools in major research universities so it seems to be the production and transmission of knowledge of a durable type uh, in durable styles seems mm-hmm. to be integral to the way we've arranged legal education and legal the legal scholarly pursuit
1: right right so we've put law in the university and one thing that you as of the late yeah. 1800s and one thing that you see very clearly you know as you know from my modern american legal theory class and anyone who's taught any course which surveys uh, any length of time is that ideas about the right way to proceed change radically? Think back to our you know Kessler and Posen episode too, right? Pe- people's ideas about the right ways to resolve what it is we should do change radically over time. True. And you know, there's a question about whether we're just cycling through things or whether we're actually making some progress. Whether we're being kind of overly teleological when we suggest that we are advancing and some. You know, I'm not. Forget all that for a second. I'm just okay. trying to think of you know, given that we are charged with with providing this public good right? How should we do it? So this goes back to why this show, I think, mm. right? I don't know why you, why, why you decided you wanted to do this show, but I don't know, for me, I've tried a lot of things in, in my career so far, which is short. And some of those are traditional. I've written some articles, not enough for, for many, but, but enough for some. And, you know, I've got a couple more, I've you know, that are coming out, but I think that, um, but I've also, you know, I've written software which allows you to make textbooks, right? And for people to share. I've, and that didn't really succeed in the sense that not everybody's using it. Um, uh, almost, nobody's using it, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think it's the right way to go, right? That the idea that, that textbooks are like playlists, right? And that we should be exchanging materials and building our own personal playlist, right? Um, so I did that. And... Uh, And I blogged for a while. This is after I came out, after my first cycle of pieces about the public-private distinction. And as I was shifting gears to um, a new theory of law, which I've been working on and hopefully coming to some conclusion, I experimented with blogging some of my smaller ideas, right? And and all of it's trying to think of like, what if if you weren't concerned with anything, if you weren't concerned with the current academic current, typical academic currency of, you know, incentives, and you just were trying to do the right thing, you know, trying to get your ideas out there and trying to converse with what, what would you do? And I, you know, I, I don't know that I've succeeded in that in any stretch, but for me, that's kind of, you know, this show is of a piece with that, right. That I, you know, there, there is a place for people, you know, we've heard from people at other schools, other places who, who are, you know, for for a lot of people, the show won't, isn't what they need or want, right. But for great many, it fills a need that there, or at least a desire that they had. Right. Yeah. And, and we love hearing from those people and, and conversing with them. But it does run counter to all the incentives that we are under in our jobs. I mean, at least many of them, right? I mean, we, we'd we probably be better off, at our institution at least, writing articles rather than doing this show, right? You know, if the, you know, if you take each day that I spent editing this show and added those all up, you know, and you converted that into a law review article and you took the blogs and you know, it'd be better off if you, if you in pure in opportunity cost
0: terms, if that's what you did with the time instead, right. Then yes, we would be better off within the institutional framework of our current
1: institution. Well, and other institutions too. I'm not singling out ours, but you know what I mean?
0: Right. But ours is the one where we know what the incentives are with enough thick detail. Right. And, deti- and details matter here. Yeah. Think, in this context.
1: Um, yeah, and, and to be clear, you know our institution isn't unhappy with it. They're very happy. I mean, they're happy we're doing the show. It's just it's not particularly relevant to the system of incentives that we have at our school. Yeah, that's, and I think at most schools. That's the point you just made. Yeah, correct. And um, so should we keep doing it? And why? You know, that's what. What do you think? Like, how how, how do you think about this? Well, you're here. Have I not set it up well enough? No, you have. I'm.
0: I, I should we keep doing it? Um, we should um, because, but. I can, I can think of this in a few different ways. One way to think about it is the reason I started doing it is because you asked me to. <laughs> and because I, when I thought about whether it would be fun to do it, my first thought, second thought, and thereafter many other thoughts were, yes, it would be great fun. That has turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. It has been great fun. It's very enriching for me. I learn a lot. Yeah. By reading yeah, the papers too. and yeah. talking to the people that we talk to, by talking to you. Um, I learn a lot. I enjoy the thinking, I enjoy the learning, I enjoy the conversation. And this connects to my some of my prior educational experiences. I think it's hard to in there are some ways in which think about sort of bang for buck. Yeah. Broadly conceived. Uh it is very hard to beat. Um a genuine conversation with smart folks about challenging ideas. Yeah. Right. That is really tough to
1: beat. Yeah. We get, we get places, right. That you do. And
0: it's, and it's, and this is how it happens, right. Mm -hmm. It's actual humans actually conversing, which is, which the podcast form captures in a way that's really awesome. and, Fundamentally different from written conversation carried out asynchronously, right? Right. Um, carried out diachronically rather than synchronically. I think that I think about written scholarship, my written scholarship. I think when I've done it well, I've done it in a way that embeds what I'm doing in an ongoing exchange in written form with multiple people, right? I personally don't write. And I personally am deeply skeptical when I see other people write scholarship that says I'm not in conversation with anything else. I have this amazing idea. It's earth shattering, life changing, and is completely unprecedented and awesome. And now please, I will now begin. (laughs) I'm like, I've already put it down. Because that's so, what that tells me is the person actually doesn't really know much about what scholarship is about. I realize this is something people could disagree with vigorously. But for me, especially in law, scholarship is inherently in conversation with other scholarship. uh, Or Mm. it isn't being done correctly. So I think the written stuff is there and that's great. But that's one kind of conversation. The other conversation is the conversation you have in in real time with other human beings using your voice and your ears. And that's what a podcast does. And that's why it's been so fun and rewarding. So, yeah, I want to keep doing it because it keeps being rewarding to me. Um, would that be enough if we got a ton of communications from listeners that said, you know, I'm begging you to stop? <laughs> um, those people just stop listening. We would get those. <laughs> right. So so would we keep having the conversations? Yes. Would we keep recording them? Probably not. right. Right. But but in but in, in actuality, the communications we've gotten from people is, hey, I really enjoy that. That's really fun. I like listening to that. I learned something. I thought about
1: something. It challenged me. It well, encouraged we, we me. We get enough of those where, you know, the, the people who would be in the first category, you know, they don't have to tell us to stop. They can right. just stop listening. But exactly. you
0: know, um, Yeah. and so the when we get those second communications which are really positive, then I think, yeah, this you know, my conception of myself as a scholar, includes being a teacher and a learner. And so I'm learning in the conversations. We're hearing from listeners that they're also learning from the conversations, which means
1: the conversations are also teaching events, not just learning events. And that's awesome. Yeah. When I think about the diversity of things that I do, whether it's teaching or it's producing materials for the courses that I teach, or it's the show or it's the writing, I think about, you know, there are different of different ideas fit into different boxes. And I love the conversation on this show. I love being able to read other people's papers and, and take a deep dive on those and, yeah. and get to places that know like, because we're all different people where none of us would have about, gotten alone to
0: talk to them about those papers. We're also putting those papers out into, into conversation in the written form with the verbal form, which is why I think people are, are delighted to be our guests because and Because they yeah. enjoy talking to us about their stuff, whether it's Jessica Owley's paper on the land trusts and how they actually perform or the theory piece we did the other day with Kessler and Posen or Lisa Heinzerling's paper about these recent Supreme Court cases. I mean, this is – we're talking with people who are engaged in this enterprise – and it's
1: deepening and and layering the communication. And and yeah, and, and the conversations we have are better because there are papers. Uh, they could be blog posts. We could do some of those. We could do shows about people who've written books or with people who've written books. Right. It, it's funny, though, because, you know, part of what drives me to do this is I just think that there are some ideas which are best in this format, and there are some ideas which are better in a blog format. When mm-hmm. I, you know, the things that I'm writing now, which are, have taken a while to get where they where they are and the things that i wrote before which again that you know it was like i wrote something it took a couple of years to get through an idea and kind of keep hashing at it and people kept telling me this won't work (laughs) finally finally i push it through and and, you know for me those are like you know big original ideas if i have, they may not be right and they may not be everybody's cup of tea but i'm thinking like what what is it that i'm thinking about this world of of you know whether this particular slice of legal thought, this particular slice of the world, this particular way of people are thinking about this problem. I know that I have some thoughts about that, and you know, I'm thinking of making judgments about it. What is different about how I am making those judgments than when I hear other people talking about how they make those judgments, mm-hmm. right, and how they think about it? And what I'm trying to do is to think about explaining as best as I can how my brain is thinking about this issue. And if I have an idea, which I think is substantially different enough than the way others are thinking about it, that to me is the place to write the 70 page article Mm -hmm. or, you know, or even the book, if it's, if it's of that magnitude where, but I feel like all the incentives are toward making the 70 page article out of the small idea, right? Out of the conversation, which could occur like this or the blog post. Do you know what I mean? I do. And, and that worries me, you know, I just think that, you know, (laughs) All all the incentives, and this connects with the rankings, which is why I said we did this show, Heart of Darkness, right? Right. All the incentives are to get people to push lots of stuff out. Right. And here I'm speaking generally in the legal academy, right? Yes. uh, That you look better as a scholar if you've pushed a lot out. And part of that is a concern with sloth, right? You don't, you know, because of the way tenure works and everything else, you do need to worry But there's a cost of worrying about sloth. There's a cost of measuring this stuff in this way because you change it.
0: Yes um and and focusing on producing things that can be measured because measurement measurable things are things people feel more comfortable with um and once and especially once they connect it with sloth or malingering or or whatever other word they want to use to describe it is it's a sort of a distortion
1: well it's what we it's it's a connection between these things because what What a publication is, the unit of currency within our profession, is that product which looks like a publication. And the look of a publication, the look of the currency, is shaped by the Blue Book. It's shaped by the student law review system. It's shaped by all of these things. Right. Right. And it's leading to, I think, too much friction on good ideas. And so part of this show has always been about trying to eliminate a lot of that friction to make accessible the really good ideas that people are writing about in these pieces cuz you know our colleagues throughout the world have wonderful ideas and sometimes they're buried <laughs> under a lot of you know articles and other things that are written for the purpose of uh, of obtaining the currency of the academic realm
0: yeah um i mean a, a different way to think about it might be that uh it's it's good to have two these two different forms as complements right that
1: there is a rigor not of the show right i mean you of the other form right the written form yeah, right yeah, has yeah, a yeah. has <laughs> a it has
0: a rigor uh, that that comes from the care and the many 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 hours it takes to properly craft in a a written exposition from beginning to end uh, and that includes a, a an adequate of course you can make the critique about how it goes so far beyond adequate right mm-hmm. but an adequate uh set of pointers to the things with which that written piece is in written conversation through citations that that has a sort of a set of characteristics but but there is a more lively open conversational thing that could happen and that's a complement to the first thing and so having both having a, doing this which gets which gets the other one into the mix and now so both of them are there. Yeah. I don't know that I would want the the second without the first. Oh, of course.
1: And 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 I was just going to say that there's some there's some kinds of inquiry within law where the annual or even semi-annual production of a 50 to 70 page thing is exactly the right way to communicate the information in that field. Maybe it, you know, maybe it's very doctrinal, maybe it's has to do with the uh, It's in conversation with court cases that are coming out at that pace. I mean, there there are a bunch of reasons. A reason to do it is not so that we look like that. That we look like a simulation of other academic fields where there are labs with postdocs and there's a a more steady stream. That that's not a reason, but there may be very good reasons to do it. I guess I'm just lamenting the lack of. I don't know if I'm lamenting. I'm thinking out loud, of course, but I'm I'm lamenting kind of the lack of uh, diversity. Like so, in a field like ours, where the where the ultimate theory of truth is contested, there isn't a good one. When all this stuff that we've talked about before is true, you would expect to see contributions which range from like conversations like this to one-page blog posts to three-page things to five-page articles, seven pages, six page, you know, you, everything in between. Right. And yet, we are where we are. Right. There is the article, and then there is this right. lesser thing, the essay, symposium contribution. So there are. Steps along the way. but And those things are uh, tagged and tracked.
0: And it is the tracking of them that I think people latch on as being a big part of their utility. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that you named that haven't yet gained currency, I think part of what prevents them from gaining currency gr- uh, to a greater degree, at least at the present moment, is there the fact that they're harder to track. Yeah. And since this is an economy of prestige and an economy of influence, right? I mean, if you think about the conventional tenure standard at most research institutions, it's about influence on other people in your field. That's the
1: standard, yeah. That, that's yeah, that's what I just said, right? That's yeah, I, you, I,
0: the, the stated standard
1: that component yeah I, I, we need to do another show about this but i'm just thinking about tenure letter inflation and the way that people talk about you know i'm just i think it's more about quantity but
0: yeah i don't think that's inconsistent with what i'm trying to say which is that when you're when you're think when you when you have set up the inquiry to try to get a handle on among other things the degree to which you have influenced other people in your field yeah um that is going to incline you to pay more attention to things that have evidence track of measured influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the do, the frequency with which other people cite your work.
1: Yeah, is that kind of evidence? Yeah. But and this is exactly the kind of data that um, Elsevier <laughs> correct <laughs> says it's going to track. Right. And, yeah, and
0: other companies too. I mean, yeah. there's now
1: a, an industry that's growing up, around, and not just in law, in all fields. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to end this one because it, it's it's running long. But I that. That idea of those kind of data, and the tracking of those kind of data, and the concern that when you collect data, that people change their behaviors to produce the kinds of data they think are being measured, that's a real concern of mine. You know, it seems counter to the idea that academics is in part about, it should be about a freedom to fail, right? It should be about... people trying out new kinds of things, especially in law. And maybe this isn't true of, of the sciences. Maybe it's not true of the lab sciences where it, it, it really, you know, where a publisher parish has a slightly different meaning, right? It, it is about, you know, constantly keeping, a, you know, you get a lab. It maybe if we had a lab full of people producing different observations about the legal system and we were totally devoted to empirical legal studies, I think it would be a different sort of proposition. Mm-hmm. But I worry about, trying to impose measurement in a field where the very dispute is over, or, the, or a very dispute, a very dispute. See, I'm not even making any sense now. We've gone too long. Okay. But a very bone of contention. Not the very bone of contention right. is what counts as success. You know, what are we trying to do? We don't really know. It's not curing cancer, right? It is something else. I mean, you can, reducing the number of erroneous convictions, getting, uh, you know, the, you can certainly put some of those things out there. But in terms of thinking about law, what, is, what does it mean to be successful in this dialogic enterprise that we're in? What, what should we be encouraging? And should we be encouraging people to do a particular kind of thing? I don't know. I'm confident. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I want to cut all this out because I feel like I've just kind of not hit it, you know?
0: Okay. Uh, I'm confident that we should be encouraging people who are law professors in a university context to include in their repertoire of of scholarly behaviors, um, producing written work that can endure for a substantial amount of time, Uh, in part because we have such great difficulty in assessing the degree to which an idea will be of some meaning. And use to others um, ever. Yeah. Uh, and so you at very at the very least, you want to get on your side uh, time. Yeah. And the way to put time on your side is to write stuff down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I'm very confident of that. That mm-hmm. that law professors, because they're in the university, uh, need to engage in written work. Um now. How much of it? How much of it relative to the other work that they do? Um, you know, the 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 certainty of the positive influence we can have is in the minds of our actual students who are in front of us day in this and. This is
1: Scalia's point, right? This was Th- Scalia's Those are the point. people who yeah.
0: we know to a moral certainty we are affecting, right? Because they're right in front of us, yeah. and we're in that live conversation with them as human beings. Um, and so, part of the weighing of the written work versus the conversational work of teaching in my mind, relates to the difference between a possibility and a certainty. The written stuff is about a possibility. Yeah, um, It's an important possibility. It's a possibility that is, all, that is entirely wrapped up with the presence of the law school in the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the educational one is not a possibility, it's a certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means a lot to me, personally, yeah. uh, in terms of both of these things being really important.
1: Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that the the angst I'm having is over what kind of writing and how are we, where is that writing energy being put, you know, and what what's affecting the motivation to write. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the personal motivations ultimately affecting to a great deal the quality of the work. Food for thought. Should we even ship this?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like I said, I haven't, I haven't should have written something down. <laughs> Speaking of writing, I feel like I could write this down much An better irony. than I can say it. Because part of it, I'm trying to, you know, I, I just feel like I'm trying to avoid being. Uh, it's so easy to over speak with this. Yes, you know what I mean. It's like easy to over generalize, and and I, you know, I'm, I'm all I'm really trying to say is like let a thousand flowers bloom, basically, right? But, but like. If you're a professor, let it bloom for the right reasons. Like, just try to, try to ha- find vehicles for other people to understand your, you know, unique perceptions of this activity we're all trying to do together, right? That's what it's all about. We're trying to help each other see things from our unique points of view. And recording those in writing is a great way to do it, as you say, yeah. right? But, but that's what you're trying to do. That's the purpose of the writing right is, to, is is to make a record of your brain the unique state of your brain yes. and some people are able to do that with such you know poetry and with such uh um and with such in, you know endurance over time um i just i wish people were freer to do that you don't have to write a particular kind of thing
0: yeah i mean you say that but i i think you mean it within the within the fr- within a within a a, a pretty Within a frame within a well known frame I mean when I I I, re- I, yeah I, I think if you know what what would it be like to just to be very pragmatic about it, right, what would it be like to be sitting in a meeting where you're talking about a tenure case or a colleague uh and one of the pieces in the file that the candidate wants to rely on heavily um is a book of sonnets that they wrote. Um, about various legal topics and legal cases that were important to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I would find that hard to grapple with, uh, because it's so outside the box and I don't have anything more to say about it right now. Other than that, I would find it very hard to grapple with.
1: Is it because it would be hard for you to understand the ideas in it?
0: Well, I don't know whether I, I could, let me, uh, I, I'll, I, I would read them. I would try. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I think part of what's so would be hard to grapple with it is because I don't know how to fit it within the ecosystem that the conventional stuff fits within, which I understand, even as I denounce some aspects of it, um, the essay about the immorality of seeking expedited review being an example, you know, a part of the reason I'm comfortable making a critique like that is because I understand the system within which these conventions are occurring, Right. The book of sonnets, I would find it very hard to just comprehend what's happening. Like, well, wait a minute, am I having a dream? Or why are we talking about a book of
1: sonnets? I, the more you say that, the more I want to read this book. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, right, key for me, the key for me would be like, whether you can find the ideas in it, right? And, and maybe those ideas are best expressed in sonnet form, maybe or at least are. the person believes they are best expressed in that form, and which there is an audience. Taken, which in a yeah.
0: university community ought to be taken very seriously. Yeah. The fact that the person felt like this was the best form within right. which to express and them. And you look and, at tenure
1: and, letters to see whether other, you know, that they can be unreliable. It, right. I think the point is that, you know, we, we have the blessing of, a dis, of being in a discipline that is not yet so specialized that we can't understand each other's work. Right. And it is totally within our competence to find the ideas in a work. Yes. Sometimes we have to rely on specialists to tell us whether these ideas are original because we've not read the entire literature in that particular field, but we can at least find the ideas in those things. And that's what, you know, that's, that's the ultimate purpose, right. Of writing things down, of doing the, the work that you described before, yeah. right. Is to record those ideas. Yes. And if it's, if they're in sonnets, you know, if they're in something which is just on SSRN, something which is uh, just on the replacement for SSRN, something which is published in, you know, a great law review, it shouldn't, I'm not going to put this part in okay do you think we should or shouldn't?
0: I'll uh, leave it up to you. You're the person who edits the show um i I'm comfortable with it staying in, but
1: it's up to you. It's not that I'm uncomfortable. I just I, again feel like I had an idea, and it just didn't work.
0: okay, we'll cut it off where you think you should cut it off, which is probably somewhere a few minutes in the rearview mirror- mirror, but at least.